welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of April 24th to 26th, 2020. My, name Paul, my name's Paulo, and I'm your host. So this week on the podcast, we're going to be going into Deadline's most profitable blockbusters of 2019. Uh, usually they do the top 10 each year, but with everything going on, they decided to do the top 25, which is just great. That's just more data for us to work with. Um, it's going to be a great exercise. I'm looking forward to looking at the different trends from the profitable movies from last year to see you know, if any of our assumptions are accurate, You know, such as do you actually get 50, 40, 25% from domestic international and China box office? Um, and if you should be targeting 2.5 production budget to account for marketing costs to break even and how much you know money does home video and TV rights actually make? Um, but before all that, you know, let's get into some brief highlights uh, from the news this week. Uh, so first up, Warner Brothers animated film Scoob uh, follows Universal's Trolls World Tour by going direct to home rental and VOD on May fifteenth instead of rescheduling for a later date. Um, it's really interesting to see that the big studios are moving primarily their animated films to home video, um, you know, before their live action films. Maybe this is because they think that there's more of a market with kids being home uh, as opposed to, you know, other live action films. So I'd be curious to see if Paramount ends up following along with SpongeBob, which is currently scheduled for August. Uh, in other movie uh, news about dates shuffling around, uh, Warner moves the Lin-Manuel Miranda and John Chu musical Into the Heights, uh, or In the Heights, sorry, uh, a full year back to June 8th, 2021. Um, it had originally been scheduled for June of this year. Um, interestingly, this is actually only a couple months away from the theatrical release of the, record, the stage recording of Hamilton, which is coming out in October. So maybe Lin will finally get his EGOT done. He has doubled the chances. Um, we also move. They also moved the Matt Reeves uh, Batman movie that's starring Robert Pattinson from June twenty fifth, twenty twenty one to October first, twenty twenty one. To take advantage of this absence, uh, Sony actually moved the Venom sequel from October of this year to June twenty to that June twenty fifth date, um, and officially titles it as Venom: Let There Be Carnage, uh, referencing the other Spider Man character, uh, Carnage. Um, you know, following this up, you know, Sony uh, in the Spider-Man universe moved Spider- the third Spider-Man Homecoming film starring Tom Holland uh, to from July 16th of next year to November 5th instead. Um, this bumps the Marvel Doctor Strange sequel directed by Sam Raimi off of that November date to 2022, March, March 2020, 25th, 2022 instead. Um, this also caused Sony to move the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse sequel away from that... Um, you know, uh, Doctor Strange sequel um, in early April to October of that year instead, 2022. Um, Sony also has a new date for Lord and Miller animated film Connected, um, which is going to be September this year. It got pushed back to October. So just about a month, still coming out this year. Um, And there are various other changes from other studios in 2022 and 2021 schedules, which I'm not going to get into too much detail here because it's just moving, suffering things around a little bit. Um, Doesn't really affect anything this year. Um, You know, all for however, for all of these schedule changes, one film that hasn't moved yet is Christopher Nolan's film Tenet. It's still locked into the July seventeenth date, and it's probably going to be the first movie in theaters if theaters choose to op- or open at that time. Um, on one hand, it's pretty nerve wracking just because you know, you know, 
Chris Nolan, this film has cost $200 million budget to make. Um, and if it opens to only either half to half full theaters, that maybe they can only book half as many seats per screen in order to, um, you know, comply with social distancing requirements. Or, you know, even if there's increased demand, that's pretty scary. If they're going to, are they going to be end up being profitable by sticking to this date? On the other hand, I understand the position Warner and is in, you know, Chris Nolan is definitely one of the biggest auteurs, like, like blockbuster authors um, of today and they want to keep him happy and he's definitely all about preserving the movie theater experience and he wants to have a film to get theaters to open up again um, AMC has said they're not going to be open unless they have a new movie to screen which Tenet would definitely qualify for um, at this point it's kind of a game of chicken frankly between coronavirus and these and these theaters you know uh, and um, between the different studios even whoever releases a film first assuming that theaters are, are open at the time they're going to pick Get pick up a lot of pent up demand, so maybe that's what Warner is banking on here. Um, you know, it, it, we, we can't really tell. Uh, shifting quickly over the streaming news, Netflix announced uh, for Q1 of this year they added 16 million new subscribers for this quarter. Uh, they previously forecasted 7 million, so a great win for Netflix. Um, pretty understandable how this happened between Tiger King, which I haven't watched and don't plan on watching, and everyone just being at home and needing something to do uh, while socially isolating. Um, this is definitely a big, big win for Netflix and all these streaming platforms. Speaking of, um, Warner Brothers announced that HBO Max, their uh, streaming service that's kind of like HBO now, but more, uh, is officially going to release on May 27th of this year. Um, and it's, you know, released at, and the price is going to be $15 a month. Uh, I'm really curious, you know, if this quarantine encouraged the, them to push up the date any faster, you know, um, to try to take advantage of this. In any case, we'll be keeping a watch on how HBO Max does. All right, uh, now that all the news is out of the way, uh, let's take a look at Deadline's number, uh, numbers for the most profitable blockbusters of 2019. Um, the numbers come from various trusted sources they have within the industry, so those aren't always publicly released. So this is a pretty rare insight to be able to look into these kinds of numbers. Um, of course, all these numbers being the most profitable kind of skews toward what needs to be done for a profitable film, and who knows, maybe like the unprofitable films end up not following this model, but you know, we'll, we'll take a look and see. Okay, so in order for in order of the films that had the most total absolute profit, these are the twenty five films that were the most profitable according to uh, Deadline: uh, Avengers: Endgame, Frozen Two, Lion King, Joker, Captain Marvel, Toy Story Four, Aladdin, Spider Man: Ho uh, Far From Home, uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, Jumanji Two: The Next Level, uh, It Chapter Two, How to Train Your Dragon Three, Us. Uh, the Secret Life of Pets 2, John Wick 3 Parabellum, Downton Abbey, Hobbs and Shaw, Knives Out, 1917, The Addams Family, Shazam, Glass, Annabelle Creation, Little Woman, and Hustlers. Um, so those are 25 films. So let's find you know, some high-level stuff first. Um, you know, eight of the top 10 films, in fact, eight of the top nine films are all Disney, um, you know, and Disney's the most represented on this list with eight films total. Um, the next up is Universal with seven films. Warner Brothers has four films. Sony and Lionsgate each have two films. And then United Artists and STX both have one film, um, Adam's Family and uh, Hustlers, respectively. Interestingly of note, of the big five major studios, Paramount is notably missing. They're usually on here if they have something like, you know, Missing Impossible, for example. And I'm pretty sure this year they'll probably get Sonic the Hedgehog on here just with the way the industry is going. But it's pretty, you know, kind of sad. You, you can definitely tell Paramount is kind of the most struggling of the big major studios at this point. Um, 
Of these 25 films, 15 opened in China and 10 did not. Most of the films that didn't open in China were either, you know, had an R rating, such as Joker or John Wick, um, or, you know, they had some content that's more domestic market, uh, think Us or Hustlers, um, or even Little Woman, which is, you know, a little bit more of an American, American, Americana story. All right, so obviously we have these numbers, but, you know, how do we compare them, you know? Avengers clearly had like bigger take-home money and also bigger budget than 25th ranked film Hustlers. So how can you really compare the two? Well, what I did, uh, I put this on the spreadsheet that I have on my laptop, is basically something I call indexing. So I basically pick a metric. Um, let's say, you know, for the first one, we'll look at this box office numbers. Take a, a metric, box office domestic numbers, um, and then divide all the met numbers on the seats by... Um, that value and multiply it by 100. So essentially, you know, this basically says for every $100 that Avengers Endgame made in um, domestic box office, um, you know, they made X amount um, in international numbers and it costs them this much to make, basically. So that ends up turning into something along the lines of... Um, Kind of like a even comparison point. Um, if you know, if everyone, if you assume every film scaled up to a hundred dollars uh, domestic, how much do they make on all these different factors? So, um, with that in mind, you know, as an example here for Avengers Endgame, if they made a hundred dollars in domestic box office, they ended up making a hundred and fifty-four dollars in international dollars, seventy-two dollars in China for a total of three hundred and twenty-six dollars in total gross box office. Um, so what I did was for all these 25 films, I took these numbers and averaged them together to figure out what the average blockbuster ends up being. Um, so in this case, an average blockbuster that made $100 domestic will make $135 international or $18 in China. Now, again, this China number looks a little bit low, but again, that's because not every film did release in China. So I'm going to actually split it out into two groups. Uh, one group are films that released in China. So these numbers are 100%, $100 domestic, 149 reached 149 international, and $32 in China, which is about $281 total. This works out to about 35.5% coming from domestic, 53% coming from international, and 11.5% coming from China. Um, for nine for films that don't release in China, uh, for every hundred dollars they make domestically, they make hundred twenty-two dollars international, um, and twenty-two dollars and hundred twenty-two dollars international. So that's two hundred twenty-two dollars total. So about a forty-five fifty-five split between international and uh, oh, sorry, between domestic and international numbers. Um, you can see that's like a you know a whole sixty dollars difference, or you know for every hundred dollars that you're giving up basically if you don't release in China. Now, part of that is you know there's more international films, uh, you, you know one hundred forty nine versus one twenty two international if you release in China versus not. I think that's because the films that don't release in China again are skewed toward films that don't have as much relevance to international audience. Um, for example, Hustlers uh, and Us both made only fifty dollars. Uh, internationally for every hundred dollars they made domestically um and you know even like little woman made only 91 dollars for every hundred where most other films will make at least you know a little bit more international so that kind of skews that those numbers a little bit all right so now that we kind of have this idea but now one of the things i've talked about in past episodes is the 50 40 25 rule uh generally speaking it does 50 what if the uh box office made 50 uh percent uh, made some amount of money um, in domestic markets. You make 50%. Uh, the distributor makes 50% and the 50% goes to the exhibitor. 40% goes to the distributor in international markets and 25% goes to China. Um, 
So using this split, you know, if we take these assumptions from, you know, say for China release, $100 domestic, $149 international, $32 domestic, that breaks down to about $50 domestic, $60 international, and $8 China for a total of $118. Um, if I applied, you know, if I take um, the actual total amount of revenue uh, from from global rentals that uh, deadline reports, um, the total amount for China films are is uh, 122. So, you know, 118 versus 122, we're pretty close. Um, the number is a little bit off, um, partly because since a lot of a lot of the films that did release in China were Disney films, those domestically actually have a 65% split um, domestically. So, you know, that number would, you know, obviously not every film. Uh, because Disney has a higher split, not every film that released in China is a Disney film, obviously. So that average of 50% domestically, probably closer to maybe 54, 55, uh, which puts us right on the money at 122 estimated. Um, for non-Chinese films, um, you know, the total comes out to 99, uh, which again, is pretty much right on the dot, 98 uh, for what non-China films release. So um, yeah, the 50, 40, 25 rule is pretty, pretty solid here. Um, Another heuristic that a lot of people like to use is the 40% rule. Um, basically, just take total global box office and divide by 40, and you get the t- what the total amount is. Um, and you know, if we apply the 40% rule to you know this estimated uh, you know 281 and and 222 for China and non-China films, we get. Um, you know, we got 112 and 89, uh, which is a bit farther away than using the 50, 40, 25 rule. Um, so not quite as accurate. Um, one cool thing though I did was if I take, you know, the actual numbers, again, the 122 for China-related films and 98 for non-China films and divide by the actual, uh, you know, gross total box, uh, worldwide box office, the ratio is actually closer to the 44%. So not quite as sexy as a 40% rule, but maybe we say 45% on average, just as like a quick back, back of napkin estimation, that might be a good way to go about it in the future. Now, there's one thing actually you have note here. Um, I'm not including the films John Wick 3 and Knives Out, since it looks like none of the international rental, so none of the international box office ended up going to them. Um, if you look at the seat, for example, um, John Wick 3, for example, reported that they had 89 um, million dollars in global rentals um but you know they had a total of 326 total across you know the entire world um that 89 makes sense if you look at only their domestic um which was 171 so 89 is just about you know at the 50 percent mark here um same for knives out they made about 85 on a 165 dollar domestic um but they still made money also in international china the reason for this if you look on these seats is that there's a line for foreign sales and john wick three and knives out are the only films that have the foreign sales line for $45 and 25 respectively, uh, million and 25 million respectively. Um, you know, what this means is that, um, basically the distributor, um, you know, in this case, it was, excuse me. Um, in this case, it was, uh, Lionsgate for Knives Out. Uh, actually, Lionsgate for both of them. So maybe that, this is a Lionsgate thing in general. Lionsgate doesn't seem to la- want to have to deal with dealing with international marketing or international um, distribution. So they just sold those rights off um, to somebody, right? Um, now, the 45 that Knives Out and um, 45 and 25 million, um, you know, they made 156 and 119 slash 20 in international. Uh, so, sorry. John Wick ended up making 156 internationally, did not release in China, and then Knives Out made 119 internationally and 28 million in China. Um, so the 45 and 25 respective numbers that they sold their international rights for 
means they only made 29 or 17% of their non-domestic box office, which is a lot lower than the 40% rule. Um, however, I think this isn't as big of a problem because the print and advertising, um, which we'll get to in a little bit, um, both were less than $50 million total for Lionsgate. Um, comparable films had a similar budget of 40 to $75 million, spent at least $70 million for a worldwide release, um, and up to $120 million for Secret Lights of Pets 2. Um, so you know, even if they didn't make as much from the box office revenue, um, Lionsgate didn't have to spend as much on advertising, which helped keep the profits, um, keep it profitable. You know, so uh, aside from box office revenue, there's other forms of revenue that distributors can get. Uh, we've talked about the, um, you know, the theatrical window and and distributors wanting to keep um, get things out to home video and uh, TV rights as well. So these are the lines known as home entertainment and TV net um, on the deadline seats. Um, so indexing these out for every hundred dollars that somebody made that a film made on. Um, on box on domestic box office, um, it looks like globally um, home entertainment is averaging about forty dollars. Um, so about forty percent. So home entertainment rights make about forty percent of what the box office made. Um, and then TV net being global is close to about fifty three. Um, though it kind of splits depending on whether or not released in China or not. If it released in China, it only was about forty four. And if it was um, did not release in China, um, it was closer to seventy one. Um, relative to every again, relative to every hundred dollars made at the domestic box office. Um, some standouts include Us, which made twenty seven dollars to uh, home entertainment and one hundred thirty four on TV rights. Hustlers made twenty nine on home entertainment and sixty seven on TV rights. And Little Woman made thirty two dollars on home entertainment and eighty two on TV rights. So it's really again, it's really interesting to see that the TV rights are generally more valuable than home entertainment rights. But you know, overall in total, if um, you know, you take this forty dollar and say um, like forty and forty four for films that are released in China, so that's um, you know eighty four or even closer to um, forty plus fifty three for film or forty and seventy one um, to one hundred and eleven. You know, box office still is at least half of the total revenue that a uh, that a film will make. So for people saying that you know Black Widow and um, all these and Wonder Woman should come direct to streaming, um, the fil- the Distributors are not going to give up half of their total revenue um, to make up for whatever they're going to make on on home and video streaming. Um, it, that would not be very likely, you know. So with these numbers in mind, it looks like the total revenue of a blockbuster film that releases in China um, is something like this: hundred million dollars for domestic box office, hundred forty nine for international box office, thirty five dollars for China box office, uh, forty. Uh, for the home entertainment and 44 for TV entertainment for a total of $368 in total revenue, again, assuming a China release. Okay, so that's that's roughly about domestic box office is about a little less than a third um, of total total revenue. So it's, again, um, so again, it's pretty important to see that, you know, it's not just domestic box office that's important here. All right, moving on, let's take a look at production budget. Um, so in this case, we're going to index the production budget instead of off of, uh, of domestic box office. We're going to index everything so that we see how much uh, money is being spent on every $100 worth of production budget that's reported. Um, but before we get it, let's actually check, take a look at just raw numbers for print and advertising because I found a pretty interesting trend here. Um, so for any film that's released worldwide, including China, 
um, it looks like the max is somewhere in the 150 million dollars range. Um, Endgame, you know, even if it cost 356 million dollars to make, had a printed advertising budget of 155 million. Um, Frozen or Jumanji, they were made for 150 or 125 respectively. So that's less than half of what Endgame cost. They still had a printed advertising budget of 145 and 150 million. Um, so it looks like you know, that's an upper cap, right? Like no company is going to spend more than $150 million on advertising. At the same time, it looks like in order to completely cover the globe in advertising, you will need to spend at least $150 million. Um, on the flip side, all the ultra domestic releases, so again, Hustlers, Little Woman, and Us, which made more domestically than internationally, printed advertising ran from somewhere between 38 to 75 million. Again, I'm not counting Knives Out since they didn't have to play any international marketing here. So, you know, Hustlers is the only film by STX on this list and is a you know mini major studio, not one of the big five. So maybe they're just more capped by just how much capital they have on hand. Um, it looks like the minimum marketing budget for any film is 55 million, um, which is Downton Abbey, which is like a really weird case. Um, but it's more likely about 70 million for any blockbuster coming out of a major studio. So, you know, if you limit it to films that release in China, the minimum seems to be at least a hundred million dollars. Again, ignoring Downton Abbey because they only made like three million in China, so I don't really think that counts. Um, I also found it interesting that Joker, which functionally had a worldwide release except for China, uh, cost 120 million. So I'm going to infer from that that like, advertising in China is a, about 30 million dollars. Um, part of that is because China, their marketing is, you know, they have a sort of release window. So I'm not sure what the reason is there. And that being said, in order to estimate print and advertising, I'm going to say on absolute numbers, um, you're going to want between 100 and 150 million for films releasing worldwide, including in China. Um, and then if your film's, you know, releasing abroad, but not necessarily in China, you're going to want 70 to 100 million dollars um, for, you know, any major studio releasing abroad. If it's a, you know, either a mini major film, so something like Hustlers from STX, or a film that is U.S. only, I'm going to say $50 million. And again, that's based off the that's based off of the numbers we get from Lionsgate, who's advertising uh, *Knives Out* and *John Wick*, as which is you know functionally a U.S. only uh, film release for them. Um, so yeah, 100, 100 to 150 million for China films, 70 to 100 million for films releasing worldwide, even without China, 50 million uh, for mini majors, um, Lionsgate, STX, or films of the US only. All right, going back to the indexed uh, costs. So, for, again, for every $100 of production costs, um, one of the most interesting lines here actually is participations. So, participations is when a director or actor decides, I'm going to take a low upfront, but like, fee for being in the film that would be reported on the production budget in order for a share of the profits. Um, so, you know, if the craziest ones here are glass. Um, so for every $100 in production budget, it looks like M. Night Shyamalan and other, and, you know, Sam L. Jackson, all these other crazy people um, paid uh, 250 got paid out 250 in in, in participations um us and joker had 150 million so you know these are cases where directors really believe in the film and how successful it's going to be and they take a low upfront cost um so props to these uh these directors and actors um ignoring these outlier is though you know where you know it costs the studio more in uh, in participations than it does an actual production budget the average seems to be about you know 28 million or so or 28 million or so um you know uh disney is a little bit lower so 
between you know live action uh, between four, 15 to 25 million I think for most of their films um, maybe closer to 50 uh, out of every hundred dollars in production budget for Avengers Endgame which is understandable because of, of the crazy stacked cast and, and crew there um, but yeah about 28 dollars in participation um, I think would be the average uh, average there Um residuals which are you know if a film ends up going to tv or whatever um the guilds the various guilds the writing guilds acting guild and and directors guild you know they get residuals which they pay out to their members um that's close to about 27 dollars pretty universally um aside from disney which seems to have better deals and able to get them down to 16 out of every every hundred dollars on production budget um Interest is the amount of money that is the amount of additional money. So films uh, studios really have huge amount of cash on hand. So what they'll do is they'll end up taking you know a loan out from a bank or something or a financial institution, um, use that to pay for production, and then they'll have to pay some interest on that loan back to the banks. Um, this is pretty much universally you know a fifteen to sixteen percent um, you know rate uh, rate on interest basically. Um, the last Co- uh, cost is video cost and this is basically a second wave of advertising you know you know six months or three three to six months after a film is out you get these ads like you know avengers endgame or oh, it's now on blu-ray and dvd at home or whatever or rent available for rent on vod um these number this is the video cost which is basically the cost of bringing it advertising it worldwide um the average for this um is basically somewhere in the uh 38 uh, percent range. Um, so for every hundred dollars you spend on production budget, you're going to spend about thirty-eight dollars um, on rentals, and you know that varies by film. Um, you know, Joker, for example, has a seventy-seven percent, which they really wanted to get at home. Disney's a little bit lower, you know, thirty to twenty percent. Um, you know, it really depends on the film and and how well the the box office. But yeah, um, so when we take it all together, it works out for every hundred dollars of production budget, you're spending about one hundred and forty dollars. Uh, in, in print and advertising on average um, 38 um, for home marketing release 28 in participations unless you have something crazy ridiculous uh, 27 in residuals and 16 in interest uh, just a total of 352 in total costs of an average film um, now that said including participations is a little tricky because that really depends on how much the film makes and is a pretty much a variable cost if you look at the biggest flops um, participations only come if a film is profitable so so um, none of those biggest flops actually will have any participations um, on there. So, you know, just because of the amount of revenue and profit, that's how much uh, participation is going to go up from there, basically. So what if we limit it to fixed costs, right? So the real fixed costs here are production costs and print and advertising. And I guess you could include interest, but um, if that's the same for everyone, I'm just going to ignore it at this point. Um if it's cl- so, if you take the hundred dollars of production budget and on average a hundred and forty dollars um, in print and advertising, that's about two hundred and forty-three dollars. One other heuristic a lot of people use is the two point five. You know, a film has to make two point five its budget in order to break even, basically. Um, so that's you know, two hundred forty-three versus two point five. You know, that basically works out to, to just about the number we need. Um, and then, you know, when we look at these films, you know, if you look at just pure box office numbers here, on average, relative to the, if you index it against the production cost, the average global rentals is for every $100 you spend on box office, 
on production, um, a film will make about $300 um, in global rentals, which is above the 243 you would need to break even, basically. Um, so yeah, uh, this is pretty dope. So this again, these are obviously all profitable films. Um, one other metric that I want to take a look at, a couple other metrics I want to take a look at is, you know, how much does home entertainment actually add to profitability? Um, so, you know, if we look at only box office related revenue, um, you know, so this is all the global rentals as well as the foreign sale um, for John Wick and, uh, and Knives Out, and you subtract the production costs and print and advertising, then out of the 25 films, actually nine of them are not profitable based off box office alone. Um, however, if you include uh, home entertainment, they do become and you know they do become profitable. And this is even before the more lucrative TV rights come in. So um, these were How to Train Your Dragon three. Uh, was minus 22 uh, for box office, um, but had 80 million in home entertainment. Secret Life of Pets was down 14 million from box office, but made it up with 68 in home entertainment. Hobbs and Saw is down 47 uh, in box office, but made it up um, in home entertainment. Um, uh, actually, they were 45, so actually they also needed the TV rights. Uh, 1917 was down 50 million, but they got an Oscar, uh, which led to great home sales of 67 million. Adam's Family was down 21 million, but made 40 million in home entertainment. Sazam was down 50 million, made 58 in home entertainment. Animal Creation down only 4 million um, in, again, this is against the um, production cost. 4 million for every 100 they made. They made 27 uh, on home entertainment. Um, Little Woman down 17, um, they made 35 in home entertainment. And Hustlers was down 3 million and made 30 million. Um, so you know, the final number I want to look at is profitability, and you know this is the number on the bottom of the sheet called cash over cash uh, return. This is an ROI, return on investment. You know, for the amount of money that these studios had to pay, you know, everything, production costs, advertising, um, video costs, participations, residuals, and interest. And then you take the uh, total revenue. So this is the global rentals, the home entertainment, the TV net, and any foreign sales. Um, if you divide the revenue divided by the total cost, you get, you know, a return on investment. And these will all be above one because basically what you want is for every dollar you spend, how much money are you making back? Um, so Avengers Endgame, for example, made uh, $1,789,000,000. It cost the studio $899,000,000. So the total return on the total profit here is eight hundred ninety, which is good for number one. But the return on investment is $1.99. So for every dollars spent by Disney, um, they made $99 in profit. So, you know, $199. Um, you know, some of these films, um, you know, have better than others. I think the lowest one on this list, um, might be Hobbs and Shaw, uh, which is only 119. So every dollar they made, they made a 19, uh, percent, uh, return on investment, um, which is, you know, better than the stock market for sure. Um, the most profitable film on the list is actually Frozen 2. Um, they had a 232. So for every dollar spent, they made a dollar 32 back, um, in prof in pure profit for Frozen 2. So, um, that's definitely the cat, one of the cast counts for Disney. Joker, you know, also deserves an album mention. They're the only other film on here to get above $2 return on invest or what you know two dollars they were 211 return on investment um for every dollar spent um warner brothers made two dollars eleven dollars in revenue or one dollar eleven in profit um so yeah uh the, or the list would be you know quite a bit different um if we ordered it by um return on investment profitability or well actually it's actually not 
super, super different. Uh, well, the ordering is pretty different, but Disney's still definitely dominating. They're just a cast machine. Um, in order, it's one, Frozen, two, two, Joker, three, Avengers Endgame, uh, four, Lion King, five, Captain Marvel, six, Aladdin, seven, Spider-Man, eight, Toy Story 4, 9 is surprisingly Us, uh, and 10 is Downton Abbey. Um, I believe Star Wars doesn't come until 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, until the 17th uh, total. Um, so yeah, Star Wars was definitely not as profitable um, as uh, as uh, the rest of the, of the Disney films. Um, but yeah, this was super fun to do. Uh, I haven't looked too in depth at the total box at the top box office flops of 2019. That might be interesting to do, but I think that might be a, another episode. Um, we're just about on the half hour mark here. So yeah, that wraps up the box office concept for this week, um, which brings us to you know the top five films of this week. Which again, as usual, there are none. So what I've been watching instead, um, you know, I'm continuing on with my David Fincher watch fest for my other podcast, Filmography in Focus. I watched Zodiac this past weekend, which was. Pretty nuts. I could definitely see the similarities between it and Bong Joon-ho's film Memories of Murder. Um, I can't wait to dive into everything that David Fincher does in this film in my other podcast. Um, that should be coming out, you know, hopefully this Friday. More realistically, is looking at sometime this weekend um, just because of a bunch of other stuff happening in life right now. Um, but yeah, uh, got a bunch of other David Fincher films I need to watch this week. Um, in any case, that wraps up this week's watch. Uh, if you have any feedback or suggestions for box office concepts, you can shoot me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast@gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play as well. If you could leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser, that would be super helpful. Links in the show notes below. Uh, numbers in the show normally come from thenumbers.com, but this week, obviously, I'm using the numbers from the deadlines uh, deadline so all pops to them for compiling these numbers um, our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod you can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io uh, editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media um, fun fact this is the 10th episode of Box Office Watch so for anyone who's still listening along uh, thanks a bunch uh, used to many more than just the next 10 more um, hopefully by the time we get to 20 uh, we'll have theaters open again but you know we'll see Anyway, until next time, this has been the Box Office Watts, and remember, our watch goes on. Bye, guys. Bye.